We're going to go forward in Acts chapter 4, just to bring everybody back up to speed. We've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, This is our fourth week so far, Um, actually fifth week. Um, We we made it through Acts chapter 1. We talked about how um, Jesus... Um, is continuing to do a work. It's a it's a new work. It's it's something new that that uh, involves um, his apostles taking the lead. Now that he has ascended back into heaven, they in Acts chapter two they have received the Holy Spirit. We had the miracle of the tongues, where three thousand were saved and added to their number. And then in Acts chapter three, we saw um, how uh, Peter and John. We're walking into the temple complex to go pray, and they, they come across the path of a, a lame man who had been crippled from birth. Um, they heal that man. Uh, he, he instantly gets up, and he clings to Peter and, and to John, and they walk into the temple complex, and Peter has yet another opportunity to preach Jesus. Peter is preaching to, to the Jews who, who were in Jerusalem who would have been very familiar with the events that had taken place just, just maybe weeks before with Jesus' arrest and His trial and His crucifixion. Uh, many of them would have been witnesses to the risen Savior. Um, he appeared to, to you know, several different groups of people at different times. And now we see that, that as Peter is preaching... To the Jews in Luke, or I'm sorry, not Luke, in Acts chapter 4, we read, Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead using Jesus as the example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they asked the question, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. We talked about that name last week, and we talked about how, how, um, you know, Peter is professing the name of Jesus. And that, that, that he's pointing out to the Jews how they had denied the Holy and Righteous One, the Glorified One, that they, had, that they had handed Him over and asked for a murderer. And then we talked a lot about in verse 17 where he talks about, and you did it in ignorance. Basically, what he's saying is God is not holding you guilty of premeditated murder. 
He's holding you guilty of manslaughter. And we talked about the, the, uh, the different laws in the Jewish uh, history of if you were guilty, found guilty of murder, malicious intent murder, you were killed. There was, there was no buying your, your freedom. You were executed by a, by a family member of the person you killed. But if you, if you accidentally or, or ignorantly or unintentionally killed someone by, by accident, out in the field, working, whatever, then you had an opportunity to flee to a city of refuge. You, have an, you, you had an opportunity to go to one of the six cities that, that were, were inhabited by the Levites, and you were safe. Once you made it to the city limits, the people who were chasing you to take you down because you had killed one of theirs could not touch you. And we talked about how, how that is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That, that yes, they, they meant to kill Jesus, but they didn't mean to kill their God. And so that's why God is saying you did this in ignorance. And Jesus even said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know that I'm their Messiah. So he preaches to them this. He, he talks in language that they would have been familiar with, with the city of refuge, and how, and how they were ignorant, and how there's still hope to repent, and turn back, to be converted, so that, so that their sins may be wiped away, and that times of refreshing may come. And then he continues to speak about the prophets and how God is going to establish a new kingdom that Christ will return. And, and He will establish a new order, a new uh, kingdom. Because He was raised from the dead. And that's important because we see some of the key players in the passage we're going to talk about tonight were Sadducees. And the Sadducees were, were Jewish leaders who did not believe in the resurrection. So, as Peter is preaching in the temple, as, as a living illustration of the power of Jesus' name is, is standing right there clinging to Him, the man who was healed from being crippled his whole life, he's standing there, and the Sadducees, the temple police, um, and the priests, they come and they arrest Peter and John. And, and it was kind of getting late and it was illegal to have a, uh, a trial after dark. And so they throw him into jail. And then a funny thing happens is that under persecution, under an attempt to silence these men who were proclaiming Jesus in the temple courts, 5,000 men were added to the number of believers. 5,000. I read something today that said that the population of Jerusalem at this time would have been anywhere from thirty-five to 85,000 people. So let's say even if it was 85,000 people, 5,000 men is very significant. And what's even more significant is that it was in the temple complex, which was, which was, was the area where there would have been a whole lot of women and children present as well. And, and in this number... Those women and children weren't, weren't counted in the 5,000. It's very likely that it was many, many more people who were converted at the, at the sound of Peter preaching and proclaiming the gospel, of indicting the Jewish people, of killing their Messiah, but that there was still hope if they would change their mind about who Jesus was, change their way of living from self-righteous legalism to a faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, they could be saved. And as they're being arrested, we hear that God is blessing it. 
with 5,000, minimum of 5,000 people being added to their number. And then listen to this. This is, this is interesting. The next day, their rulers and their elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Who's Caiaphas? He's the guy, he's the high priest who, who pushed for Jesus' crucifixion. So he's very, very aware of, of the name of Jesus and what is, what is held to be, be associated with the name of Jesus. And then there's the high priestly family. You have basically all of the religious power in Jerusalem in one place. You have the, you have the Jewish government, pretty much. What is actually established as government in one place. And, and I can just see they're kind of all setting up in, in places of, of um, recognition and honor. And then they have Peter and John brought in probably you know, with their, their feet and hands bound in shackles. And they kind of push them in. And then as they're standing there before them, they ask the question. They say, by what power or in what name have you done this? They, they, weren't, they weren't trying to discredit the fact that they had healed someone. That Peter and John had actually performed a miracle. We'll see that later on. That, that wasn't the question. The question was, who are you giving credit to? See, the problem, the problem was that, that opposition to Jesus, opposition to what Jesus is doing, is a result of, of human arrogance. It's a result of human arrogance. It's a result of, of men and women thinking they, they know what's best. We've been seeing that all throughout history. Think back to Adam and Eve. It was absolute arrogance to think that they could do what God had told them not to do and that it would end up okay for them. You talk about Abraham getting ahead of God with, his, with, with God's plan for giving him Isaac. So Abraham and, and Sarah... They, they reason within themselves that it's better to go ahead and take control of the situation and do things their way. And then you have Ishmael. And then Lot's wife. Lot, you know, they were told, don't look back. And Lot's wife thought that she knew better than God. And she looked back. And then we have the people of Israel. Just moments in Scripture after, after, G, after God has handed down the Ten Commandments, He said... The, second, or the, the first commandment is have no God before me. The second commandment is make no graven image. And what do we see as Moses is delayed by receiving the full law? He comes down and the, 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 the Israelites had created a golden calf. Because they knew better. That God wasn't matching up with their expectations so they took control. And even now there are Christians who would rather conform to the patterns of this world than live the type of holy life we are called to by our Lord. We, we don't like it that it costs us relationships. We don't like it that it costs us money. We don't like it that it may cost us positions of various types. And so we take control and we say, I'll take this part of Jesus, but I'm going to leave this part of Jesus out. And it's absolute arrogance to think that you know better than God. In this passage, we see Peter and John being arrested by some of the very same people who tried and arrested Jesus. And their question about by what power or name have you done this is one that is smothered in arrogance. 
And their arrogance, get this, their arrogance comes from a deep down fear of losing control. As I said earlier, the issue was not whether or not a man had been healed. He absolutely had been healed. But it was, it was, it was by, by God's power that the man had been healed. And by what name was God's power being utilized? You look there in verse 16. Um, the, the, the people who are trying them, they dismiss them. On in 16, they said, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who lived in Jerusalem, has been done through them. We cannot deny it. They're, they're freaking out because the Jesus they killed is the name that these men had called upon for the power to heal someone. And then in verse 17, they say, However, so, so this does not spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone else in His name. They're trying to silence the message of the apostles. But we see that, that ultimately that's not going to work. The problem for the Jewish leaders was simply this. If the Jesus they crucified receives credit for miracles performed after they killed him, then soon there will be no one else left for them to lead and to have power over. And, and to kind of pull this in to where we are today. If we truly look at Jesus for who He is in Scripture and we fully decide that He is going to be exactly who said He said He is and we are going to be exactly who He says we are, then a whole lot of things are going to have to change. A whole lot of attitudes are going to have to change. A whole lot of control over our lives is going to have to be surrendered over and people don't like to feel like they don't have control over their lives. We, don't, we just don't like that. See, it's not a question of whether or not we believe God is real. I believe, and I may be completely wrong, but I believe that the question for the atheist is not whether or not God exists. Romans 1, 18-25 does a very good job of explaining that God exists and He has revealed Himself to everyone so that they are without excuse. So I really don't believe that someone can live in this world and experience this life and come to the end of it and say, genuinely and honestly, there's nothing more. So I believe that for the atheist or for the, the person who's struggling with their identity in Christ, it's more of an issue of whether or not we are willing to accept God's truth as God puts it out there. The second thing that I want to look at uh, after that opposition to Jesus is a result of arrogance is that rejection of Jesus deprives people of health. You think about it, they're not concerned, I mean, how calloused of an individual do you have to be to, to draw in two men who have now healed a man who was crippled for his entire life over 40 years? How heartless of an individual do you have to be to not even care that the man was healed, but to only be consumed with what that event may cost you personally? 
And then that, that's, that's why Peter responds the way he does. He says, he, he becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, as if that should, I mean, it matters. It mattered to Peter and it mattered to John because that's what they were preaching. But what Peter's, his tone to me kind of says, at the very least, you, you should be praising God because this man was healed. I mean, what does it matter to you who don't believe in Jesus by what name we... I mean, somebody was healed. Someone's life was changed. And you can't get past it because we're, we're saying that it happened in the name of Jesus. And so he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. Jesus was the only name by which people could be healed. The Jewish leaders would rather prevent folks from being healed than allow the name of Jesus to be proclaimed. You guys see that? Jesus had already displayed during His earthly ministry that He possessed the power to heal the sick, make the cripple walk, give sight to the blind, raise the dead back to life, control the elements of nature, and even forgive the sins of men. The apostles were now continuing the same type of ministry. Jesus had... had they're, they're continuing on in Jesus' ministry and the Jewish leaders would have no part of it. We see this happening in our lives um, also. When Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He, he, he gives us that call. He says, I will give you rest. I'll give your soul peace. I'll bring healing to your spirit. And we know, we know deep down that's exactly what we need to do. We need to come to Jesus when we're overwhelmed, when we're bombarded with the, the requirements of this life. We should come to Jesus but instead, if you're anything like me, instead we pile on more activities and more commitments and we disregard our time with the Lord. We take more control and we say, I'm going to manage this a little bit better. I just got to get everything, my priorities straight, and then I'll be able to connect with God better. When God says, no, that's not at all. It basically just says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then the church is also guilty. I mean, so we do it individually, and then we also do it corporately. Uh, and we're guilty of the same thing the Pharisees did whenever, whenever Jesus says, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. But instead, the church, we build more programs and buildings that serve our, our, ourselves. And, and, and all the while, we're ignoring the, the deep needs and sufferings of people in our community. And so many churches are guilty of that. And on some level, we're all guilty of that. We would rather hoard the control and keep the resources to make ourselves more comfortable than be people who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in the world to bring healing to others. And then the last thing that we see here is that acceptance of Jesus results in salvation. It's right there. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Peter and John's accusers' greatest failure was that they would not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what all this boiled down to. 
If Jesus had never claimed to be God, Israel would have been glad to put him down in the books as the greatest prophet to ever live. If he had just claimed to come from God, be sent by God, to be anointed with God's Holy Spirit, and if he had not claimed to actually be God, he would have been acclaimed throughout history as the greatest man to ever live. Everyone would proclaim him as the greatest man to ever live. But since he laid claim that he and the Father was one, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, and that he literally was God in the flesh to come and bring redemption to people here on earth, that was just too much for them. They could not handle that this man who made them so uncomfortable and challenged their morality and and their way of doing things so much, they just could not accept that the, the guy who was causing all of their problems was their Messiah. And the only problems he was causing was, was an inner struggle. They were being convicted and they were being shown that, that they were godless in the way that they were approaching God. So, acceptance of Jesus results in salvation. So let's talk about acceptance for a little bit. To accept Jesus is to fully agree with Jesus. Simple, right? To fully agree with Jesus. There's a, there's a saying that I, I, I kind of go to a lot and I, I try to live by is that acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. If I will just accept that life really is like this right now, then I can start to to get by a little bit better. But as long as I am not willing to accept that life really is what it is right now, I can never start to live in a solution. It's kind of like reality doesn't meet my expectations, so I sit around until reality changes. Jesus is not going to change. The reality is is that Jesus is, is the Son of God, And that he came and he he said a whole lot of very black and white things to people that require a response. That he made a lot of claims about himself that we don't get to debate. They are what they are because he said it. There used to be a saying that was, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It needs to be God said it. That settles it, whether you believe it or not. See, acceptance of Jesus is fully agreeing with Jesus and who He said He was. He is the only way. He does not accept a divided heart. He does not accept a a half-hearted acceptance of His Lordship or His, His, His... saving grace in your life, but a denial of His Lordship in your life. He won't accept that. He never, ever, ever says that He will. So to fully agree with Jesus is to become obedient to Jesus. Obedient. To do the things that Jesus said. And to become obedient to Jesus is to devote yourself to a life of, get this, To become obedient to Jesus is to devote your life to self-denial and Christ-proclaiming. 
self-denial in Christ proclaiming. That is the measure we examine ourselves by. Are we self-denying and are we Christ proclaiming? Because those are the things that He said we must do. Not in order to be saved. But He said that, that these are the things we will do once we have decided to come after Him. Jesus says to His disciples, If anyone wants to come after Me, he must deny himself. Take up His cross, which is proclaiming the cross. Proclaiming Christ and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. He's not, he's not giving room for debate there. He, you know, you read that, and I don't understand how anyone can understand it any other way that if anyone wants to come with Jesus, they must deny themselves, take up their cross. And follow Him. These are the black and white things that Jesus said that are not up for debate. There's no room for it. There's no, you know, but, but you know, I'm a child of the King and so I, should, I shouldn't really have to deny myself. Or, or you know, I, evangelism really isn't my gift, so Christ proclaiming really isn't on my radar. Every follower of Jesus who wishes to find eternal life in Jesus will be a person who denies themselves. What does that mean? What is denying yourself? Does that mean that you walk around just completely just throwing everything you have to everyone else and you, you sit around as a doormat and you, you, you know, you're just the lowliest of the low and, and you never let anybody do anything for you? You never do anything for yourself? No. That's not what it means. It means... That when given the opportunity to do something that you really want to do but you know is, is, is sinful, you deny yourself. You accept that the reality is, is that Jesus as Lord in your life does not want you to do that. So you don't. You deny yourself. And it does mean that you're going to deny yourself a lot of toys and a lot of vacations and, and a lot of really nice things whenever God puts someone in front of you who is suffering financially and, and needs help and you can provide it. It does mean that you're going to have to, to deny yourself certain relationships for the sake of truth and holiness and purity. It means that Christ's agenda for your life is supreme. And then I said there that, that not only deny yourself, but is Christ proclaiming. He says, take up your cross. He says, if you, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And guys, I am not talking about standing on the street corner or standing up on the lunch table at Southside on either campus and just yelling out about Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. We're supposed to be different, not weird, as Christians. So I'll go ahead and give you a pass on that. We're not supposed to be weird, but we are supposed to be different. 
We're supposed to live by a different standard. And whenever push comes to shove, we don't shrink back from a fight for truth. We proclaim Christ as the one and only way to heaven. We proclaim Christianity as the only reasonable religion in the world. We proclaim that our God is the only God who, who is still alive and at work and wants to have a relationship with us. And that that can be possible through faith in Jesus Christ. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ, Christ in our relationships. We proclaim Christ at our jobs and at our school. We proclaim Christ and we deny ourselves and we accept Jesus. And it always results in salvation. We must believe that we can accept... We must not believe... I'm sorry. We must not believe that we can accept Jesus and, and deny other parts. Uh, we, we must not believe that we can accept... The, the nice parts of Jesus, the fun parts of Jesus, the, you know, Jesus loves me, Jesus saves me, Jesus, you know, gives me the right to pray to God and, and, and then deny the, the life of, of growth and sanctification and, and becoming more like Him and, and that's going to cost us and that's going to be difficult sometimes. I don't really know how to close the sermon tonight. Um... I want to pray, and I just want to ask you to um, to leave. You know, kind of like we've done in the past. If, if if you're done and you want to leave, then please leave and go quietly. I love you guys. I'm thankful that you were here. But if you want to stay and talk to me about anything or want me to pray with you about something, then I'd be glad. Nothing would make me more glad than than to be able to just hang out with you a little bit, and minister to you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and Your grace. I pray, Lord, now that You would just have Your way uh, with, with us tonight and how You're dealing with us. Father, thank You so much for Your, for your love and, and the way that You bless us in so many different ways. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.